from Salesflare and this is Founder Coffee. Every few weeks I have coffee with a different founder. We discuss life, passions, learnings in an intimate talk getting to know the person behind the company. For this 53rd episode I talk to Matthew Cleveley, co-founder of 1028, a scheduling platform that is built for less digital environments such as your dentist or the National Health Service. When Matthew was doing his PhD in entrepreneurship, he and his co-founder talked with a dentist friend of theirs who wanted to digitize his business. They dug in, they analyzed how his dental practice worked, and found out that their friend had a large no-show rate because scheduling was a true pain. That's when 10 to 8 was born. We talk about building water rockets and designing mouse mats, picking things apart to learn how to build things, the stress of running out of money, and how to make yearly plans you'll actually realize. Welcome to Founder Coffee. Hey, Matthew. It's great to have you on Founder Coffee. Hey, it's great to be here. So you're co-founder of uh, 10to8. Uh, for those who don't know yet, what do you guys exactly do? So 10to8 is an appointment and scheduling business. So we allow people to simply and kind of quite powerfully um, book and schedule meetings. And, and really, it's for businesses who have clients, kind of really diverse clients, and they provide services. So anyone where they're, you know, part of your service is providing um, appointments, 10 to 8 goes in, removes any hassle to do with scheduling appointments, make sure clients turn up in a way that's super friendly and accessible to them. So we kind of, we make bookings happen. Yeah. I guess other SaaS founders uh, who are listening to it, this now are, are wondering like, okay, that's that's cool. I, I know scheduling software. I know Calendly. I know maybe maybe you can book me Calendly, I think is the biggest one. What makes you guys different? Because you're focused on service industry, but what sort of product differences are there then? Well, really, I guess I'll, I'll go back to like how 10 to 8 was founded or why we were founded. We were founded because we realized that businesses have a problem is that they deal with people in the real world mm-hmm. um, who are kind of, who are all fallible. So they forget things, you know, they forget to turn up. They like to organize their own time on their own terms. Um, and we found that, I mean, you look at tools like Calendly and they, I mean, they're, you know, they're great tools. Um, they're really for, you know, people who have kind of quite organized lives who have quite scheduled um, who live in digital diaries already. And they're not targeted at kind of imagine a dentist, a dental practice, right, who has, you know, 10,000 customers of every type, of every age, of every technical background. Um, you can't send them a link to say, hey, book book with me. It just doesn't work. And when you actually go into kind of all of those kinds of service businesses, and there are millions of them around the world, um, you find that the way in which they approach their scheduling and the way in which they approach their bookings is is quite complicated. So the business logic actually in there is quite complicated. And it becomes very difficult for a, a simple tool to go in and deliver value. And so 10 to 8 is, is the tool that can go in and deliver value, uh, match the business logic at the same time as making it accessible um, to all of your customers. So some of the really cool customers we've had, areas where we've really helped over the last couple of years, um, you know, we're starting to book a lot of um, appointments in the NHS, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know some of the really important things there around kind of firstly adhering to all the kind of relevant data security standards around medical um, information, but also you know, making something where you know you're reducing no shows, increasing actual capacity for people providing appointments, providing the data insights to do that, 
at scale and then also kind of making all of those bookings completely um, accessible. So, you know, the model we have is, you know, can your grandmother or your mother um, or grandfather, um, you know, access the system in a way that's as accessible as someone who's digitally, um, who's, who's very digitally confident. So all of those things together um, are actually quite a complex set um, of capabilities that allow us to go in and deliver a lot of value in a lot of, a lot of different areas to these these kinds of businesses and organizations. Yeah. Yeah. So if I, if I heard it well, it's not for you and I, basically, uh, most of the time, uh, we are, we are digital people. It's, it's not really targeted at that. It's more like, uh, for, like you said, uh, for, for the non UK listeners, uh, the NHS is a national health service. Uh, so, uh, grandma booking at the NHS, for instance. So it needs to be very easy on the front end. Very complex on the back because NHS makes like likes to make uh, things complex, and uh, and 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 reminds people uh, not via email or so, but other ways as well to make sure they they turn up. Yeah, and it's kind of that 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 third element that communications. That was the original kind of observation about ten to eight was that whenever there were problems for businesses that rely on scheduling, mm-hmm. um, whenever anything anything goes wrong, they communicate. So they you know they'll pick up the phone, they'll drop an email, they'll they'll actively com- try and communicate with their clients. However, that client wants to be communicated with, right? They'll ring their landline, <laughs> they'll send them a letter, and yeah. so it's a scheduling system with really the communications came first and then the scheduling came second, if you like. So it, 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 yeah. It's the, it's the, 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 the connection of the scheduling system to the real world is stronger somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. And, and, and is that why, why did you exactly start that? Is that some, some, some issue you were, you had in some other job or why, why did you start this company? Um, we started it because um, well, really, <laughs> because a, a friend of ours who is a dentist. I use this example of a dental practice all the time. Um, it's um, a friend of ours who is a dentist um, had this problem at his practice, and he was like all dentists do, gone skiing holidays. Um, he he, he um, and the ski resort um, had an app, and he was kind of like, well, why can't I have an app for my dental practice? Wouldn't that be great? Mm-hmm. Um, and so me and a friend kind of said, well, okay, that's, that's interesting, but why do you, what are the real problems that you face? And we went in and we, we investigated how his business worked and we kind of sat in with, um, his, um, receptionist and ministers of the, of administrators of the practice. Mm-hmm. And we kind of, we saw this real problem. We saw, you know, a, he had a 12% no-show rate, I think in typically in dentistry, um, in the UK, because it's provided lots of it's pri- provided um, publicly, not privately. Um, the no-show rates are sky high, um, and it, it caused huge problems for administrators. And the real problem was that if everyone turns up on a day, um, you so you have say ten percent no-shows, so and you have ten slots in a day, right? So you think that one slot's going to be free, so you book eleven people. Well, if all 11 people turn up, you're going to be there an hour later. Um, and if you don't do that, you've got an hour on average where you're sitting doing nothing. So um, it's a real operational problem. Um, and we realized that that was, that was a really interesting problem. And we started looking at kind of, well, what, how many businesses does this really affect? And that's what we're seeing now, the fun side of 10 to 8 being kind of, because we're freemium SaaS, we kind of got, you know, hundreds of thousands of businesses who have kind of signed up. And, you know, we used from, you know, 
we've got you know, large banks in the US using us, you know, and you know, healthcare um, providers all over the world, um, you know, to like a piano tuners and um, you know, alpaca farmers in New Zealand. I think it's my yeah. favorite example. And, <laughs> yeah, just, and it's just useful to everyone. Just to paint the the, the picture a bit more clearly, like. So, so you were on a ski vacation with this friend of yours? No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Uh, you he weren't came on a ski he came back from a ski location. Oh, he came back. He came back. No, and you it's kind of a joke in the UK. I discovered this. This is my yeah. It's kind of found out that it's kind of an in joke um, with with the um, with the dental practitioners. Just how often the um, the dentists go on ski holidays? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's the um, it seemed to be their most the bane of their existence that they had to mass rebook dental appointments because there was good powder in the Alps, and so the, all the all the dental practitioners decided to go oh, on ski. Oh, and, and that's where dentate comes in. I see. Yeah, and then ten to eight. We when we looked into it, and then the name right is is we realised that basically about for every appointment that was being booked, the practice was wasting ten minutes of time. And so 10 to 8 was 10 minutes of wasted time to eight seconds of, you know, simple automation. Got it. So so if you were not on ski vacation, were you in a pub or? I probably was. I was yeah. a student at the time. Or in, in the UK, so uh, you were a student at the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was doing a PhD um, actually at Imperial College Business School, um, looking at entrepreneurship policy. Um, so how governments can encourage entrepreneurship. Which I then obviously dropped out of to <laughs> yeah. to start a business. Yeah, and your friend uh, is is the developer, or also did a similar thing. Um, yeah, friends also. Yeah, um, a couple of engineers. Um, yeah, um, who were at Cambridge and Oxford. Um, so okay. very uh, diverse set of educational backgrounds, um, but doing 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 various PhDs. Um, one of us finished our PhD. Uh, Richard, who's now our managing director. Nice. So, so based on your uh, the top, like the subject of your PhD, you were always interested in uh, entrepreneurship. Yeah, I um I grew up in Cambridge with an entrepreneurial family. So my my father was an entrepreneur. Uh, my mum now runs her own business. Um, yeah, and it's kind of like conversations at the dinner table were, you know, those kind of classic estimation questions, you know, how many trucks was it take to move the pyramid of Giza? You know, that, that kind of that that kind of conversation bubbling up every so often at the dinner table. It's kind of um yeah, it's, it's kind of I've been doing it for ages. The um my first job, um, I think, um was was working for a tech company dis dismantling computers until I was marched out because they discovered that I was too young to work, but I'd be writing, I'd be Cambridge has got an amazing um, startup and science sector. And I'd just be, mm -hmm. I'd just write to companies on the science park saying, can I have a summer job? And yeah. I've been, I've been doing that since I was yet yeah, technically too young to have a job. Got it. If this were a movie, you were sort of like act, act, act one, you were, uh, you come from an entrepreneurial family act two, you, you try to do something in entrepreneurship by doing a PhD about it. And then act three, you finally decide you want to be an entrepreneur and you storm out and start into it. Right? <laughs> I think so. I think that, that sounds about right. I'm trying to think yeah. of a, yeah, with, with lots of, lots of, lots of mess in between that you ignore in a film. Yeah. Well, and then there's a, there's a sequel in which you actually built into it, obviously, but uh, it's, uh, Matthew clearly, oh, yeah. uh, You've just got to obviously set up the sequel. The yeah, um, yeah I just it was it was very funny though because because even when I was yeah even because I did I did undergrad engineering and then I did 
um, a diploma in masters in economics, and then I did a PhD. But the diploma in masters in economics, that was there was always quite a lot of tension there um, between me wanting to do academic research and um, and uh, entrepreneurship and and starting businesses. Because I ended up, I think, when I was doing my diploma and my masters, I ended up working. Let's be careful. I, I was working far too much uh, for a, for another startup, um, which actually has, has did a brilliant exit last year, which is really good. Um, <laughs> nice. But I did their original kind of like raise plans and business plans and things like that. So it was, I was kind of there's always been this kind of tension, and now it's kind of slightly the other way, where I'm kind of thinking about academia every so often and and policy and. But it's what's, nice. I think it's nice being in the real world and doing things. What's, what interests you in the academic version of it? <laughs> Well, I haven't, I haven't done much for a while. The last thing I did, when COVID first hit, um, I, I co-authored a paper with some colleagues, um, which got published in a few places, which was quite nice, on, on COVID testing strategies. Um, so again, another friend had made an observation. This is, this is when COVID was new and um, no one quite knew what they were doing. Um, and yeah, we, yeah, it was an observation that, um, if you tested regularly because of the pattern of infection of COVID, um, that testing on its own could, you know, with the original variants at least, um, could entirely stop the spread. So if you had a mass testing regime where everyone tested themselves every few days, um, you could detect from what we knew about the virus early enough, you could detect it enough to, to stop the spread entirely um, without disrupting people's lives. Um, yeah, it was an interesting, interesting paper. Um, the, I mean, the, the practical observation really was that, you know, testing regularly helps you identify who's infected and gets them to stop being infectious to other people, especially when you have something that is asymptomatic. Got but it. it is pretty, pretty simple, but it was nice. It was a nice mathematical proof and it got a bit of traction, um, from, from the policymakers in the UK at the time. I feel that uh, one day you're going to be a professor for entrepreneurship at some business school or something. He's going to retire in, in a dressing gown and a pair of slippers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a pair of slippers is, uh, you, you've added it, but uh, sure. Yeah. Cool. Now, well, well, actually, talking about these kind of things, is there any um, startup or founder or so that you look up to and you're like, oh, this is this is a person that I, or, or a company I... I I would like to be like that. Uh... There are lots. There are lots of companies that I admire, and lots of founders that I admire. The real problem with saying that I admire anyone in particular is they're all deeply flawed. I guess the one that impresses me the most in terms of what he achieves, and this is really, um, yeah, I, I think it's a, a very boring answer. But if you look at you know, from a purely engineering perspective, what Elon Musk has done over the last 10, 15 years, it, it's genuinely, I mean, it's kind of almost, I, I, I now follow, you know, follow that stuff mostly because it's just, it's, it's entertaining because, you know, the, the engineering achievements are now just, just, just absolutely incredible. And it's inspiring. So there's, yeah, really, yeah. really cool. And I, you know, it's, um, I got my kids to watch the, um, the, um, the flip maneuver tests, you know, at the beginning of last year. And um, you know, so my my kids, whenever they want to build something, now they're going to say, you know, how do you build something? It's like, well, we're going to test it first. What are we going to test? I got a book here also next to me. Uh, it's my next book I'm going to read, uh, "Lift Off" of Eric Berger. Uh, it's a uh, Elon Musk in the desperate early days that launched SpaceX. Uh, it really inspires me as well. Just just crazy the sort of things they can 
achieved by by rethinking things a bit from the start and thinking mm. how can we do this better and not just uh, like uh, rely on the common way of people solving stuff but always taking one step back and saying okay but <laughs> people are always doing it like this uh, but this is one better? of the have you seen there's a there's a there's a brilliant walk around video uh, i've made circled this in, internally and externally with a few people um when you got whenever you get mass talking about metrics mm-hmm. um you know it's like cost per kilo to orbit and you know or or the metrics for his engines and things like that it's the really brilliant thing about those is that we kind of you think yeah actually that is the thing you want to optimize on Everything else is irrelevant. That is what you want to optimize on. I think that that some of those things as well are just kind of deeply impressive. And I kind of, yeah, anyway, I I, I really like I, I, I anything where you can see really tough engineering challenges, people really breaking through and doing them. I like, um, yeah, anyway, rockets is a kind of uh, hobby of mine as well. So not not real ah. rockets, water rockets. Um, again, water rockets. It's a, it's a thing with my kids, but um yeah, so that, those are the things. In terms of companies, there are just there are lots of companies that I admire. You kind of, I, I mostly kind of end up admiring them through interaction with them, right? So, so you know, companies you can kind of get a sense of um, really good companies when you work, when you use their tools, you you know, and you just go, yes, that's True. impressive. Yes, that's you know, I can. This is really, you know, this is a great tool. Um, one that always kind of yeah, um, yeah, is wise. Or transfer wise, mm-hmm. you, know, you said you know again, just just a really nice, slick, simple tool, and it's allowed allowed me to um, to scale scale my business without being dependent on banks. Yeah, um, which is you know been a problem in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were using it as well together with Revolut uh, to organize some of our uh, international cash flows. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just kind of well, you kind of feel like, especially when it comes to um, you know banking, that there's there's a lot to be said for just just leaving leaving old banks and just starting again. It's true. No, the the the, the old banks have such a history. They and uh, it's a uh, a lot of technical debt, uh, as we would uh, call it, uh, is stacked up there that is just so hard to get rid of. So restarting from scratch. That's also why. Uh, for banks, the best interface for a long while used to be their mobile app because mm-hmm. they they started that way later from scratch and they weren't carrying the whole history of the PC banking system, uh, like the, the, the desktop app, web app. Uh, many banks still have a horrible one there, although they're trying to redo it. The, the back end is, is even, it's, it's like way worse. Yeah, you got the, um, yeah, hopefully you got a few interesting companies out there doing, um, Doing interesting things with the back end of banks, trying to trying to transition all the traditional banks as well. I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember the name. Beans with M. There's another one, Thought Machine. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. not my not my sphere of expertise, but there's a few of them that are that are trying to do interesting things there. It's true. But it's you know. How do you look at entrepreneurship? Is it more of a uh, let's say something you like to do? Um, it's just gives you energy or it's a lifestyle thing or, or, or do you have really big, big ambitions? And did you guys raise funding actually? I don't, I don't see anything on Crunchbase, but. Um, yeah, I mean, we have raised money. Um, we've raised uh, not, not very much um, for the scale we've got to. Um, mm-hmm. 
but yeah, we raised a kind of what I say large friends and family rounds, um, yeah. that kind of scale, kind of pre-seed. And we're looking at the moment we might raise a bit more to grow faster, but it's you know it's um, we're in a nice position now where we're kind of growing at a decent pace and you know, don't don't have any need to raise money, which is having having ground away for quite a long time, getting the business off the ground is a nice nice feeling. Um, it's it doesn't doesn't make it any less stressful. <laughs> Anything I discovered, it's kind of it's a, it feels a bit like you know when you're climbing a mountain, you see all these false peaks and whatever. You, know, you think oh, I'm almost at the top. I'm almost at the top. You know, after after we achieve this milestone, life is going to be easier. No, they're just different challenges. Yeah. Um, but you ask kind of what um, what motivates me about entrepreneurship or new businesses and where I'm going and those things or where I hope to be going. Um, yeah, I'm really just deeply interested in new things, um, learning, learning, um, you know, new challenges. Um, you know, at the moment, the most interesting challenge in front of me is scaling a business, and that's just just fascinating and really interesting. Um, yeah, and I, yeah, I, I love new technologies. Talking to people, I love talking to you know entrepreneurs who are building things. So I'm kind of, I talk to a reasonable number in Cambridge where I'm based, a uh, reasonable number of people who kind of start their businesses, and I help some of them get off the ground. Um, yeah, which is kind of a, a hobby of mine um, or kind of part time thing that i do and that's just it's just great finding out how other businesses operate how other industries operate because nothing's nothing works how you expect it to work on the outside Mm -hmm. now if you just look at an industry from the outside and think oh okay i think i have an idea of what the shape of this industry is who the players are and then you kind of you scratch under the hood and it's always kind of this complex fractal thing that's a product of history and is complicated and not intuitive at all i always find that interesting yeah so you really like to uh you're you're the kind of person who uh for instance like like you like the first job you had like you, you like to take the computer apart see how it works and then build a better one yeah i'm not sure you could rebuild any of the computers that i've taken apart <laughs> but yeah exactly and i think that was like even my my summer jobs i think they were like i designed a mouse mat that was my second my first yeah first job taking apart a computer second job designing a mouse mat um i built an accounting database i kind of i was i was i was yeah i was employed to do some accounts reconciliation stuff for um something that was making um antennas um advanced antennas for comp for for backhaul mobile comms and um yeah i just i realized that if i i made myself redundant a week before my summer internship finished which was good because i built, built some software that could replace me um yeah and yeah statistical analysis on medical data was another one yeah all quite diverse but just going in learning stuff yeah but it's it's striking how for you it's uh it starts very often with uh picking things apart uh before uh before doing the building many entrepreneurs uh, are not so much into picking things apart they just like to build stuff yeah uh, but I, you, I, look, I look back on when i started 10 to 8 and i think we spent too long t- picking things apart and not enough time building if we definitely first thing again i'd spend more time building and less time picking things apart because there was a lot yeah. of time we spent not only um because it's like any when you're thinking about a problem in isolation like anything yeah you can you can spend any amount of time doing that kind of thing yeah so how long is a piece of string you know how how much time do you want to do you want to spend doing an activity so i think we spent i i i spent do yeah because i like doing that understand yeah, yeah. 
you know a bit too much time trying to understand exactly how um, you know how people were organizing appointments how you could conceptually kind of define the entire appointment space and those kinds of things which right. i mean it's great there's still nothing we haven't done now that or very little we do now that we hadn't thought of uh, when we started but you know equally it wasn't relevant until say now <laughs> um you know so spending a day thinking about it a few years ago it's not 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 that helpful yeah i think i understand what uh what gives you energy but what what is taking your energy right now like like what are the things that keep you up at night lately uh concretely um things that keep me up at night um if nothing keeps you up at night what keeps you up at day i mean i, <laughs> I can tell you what makes me you know where it makes my heart sink it's a slightly different different question because there's um I'm not, yeah, it's kind of, I, I, I kind of helped found a scheduling tool company and, um, but it's, I'm not a very organized person, right? So I have lots of things like I've got my electronic um, paper, I've got lots of reminders everywhere and I've got people helping me be organized, but I'm not particularly organized. And what makes me really, you know, my heart sink is when I forget to do something I've said I'd do. Um, that's, that's really, um, that's really bad. It was, um, I was off, I was last year, I was off on paternity leave, which is great. I had a month mm-hmm. off. Um, and, um, but when I came back, there was a whole load of, it didn't, it actually, it was, it was bad because I kind of came back and I couldn't remember. It was just like I'd, someone had flicked a reset switch. It was great. I felt very rested, but there was a whole load of things that were kind of in motion before I went away that kind of got, ignored then when i came back so i just forgot about them mm-hmm. um but yeah so so those kinds of things i think i'm trying to think about other things that actually keep me awake at night is, is there anything- i used to really worry i used to really worry about the business running out of money um yeah. i do kind of you know um it's thing to worry about. To be, yeah it, it's that really used to be uncomfortable um and stressful and we had a Ages ago, we had a funding round fall through. So we kind of founded the business and it. we had a, a funding round fall through and we had to lay people off um, and went from kind of a, a moderate team to a tiny team um, as a, when we went into kind of conservation mode. And um, yeah, that that gave me a lot of sleepless nights a, a long time afterwards because it's not a very fun thing to do to come into an office one day and kind of announce that, you know, things are not going well. Um, you haven't managed to raise funds and that means people are going to lose their jobs. Um, yeah. But awesome. yeah. And I, I don't lose sleep over that in particular anymore, but the stress of the, the stress of running out of money used to be, yeah. Used to be really quite horrid, I think. Yeah. But that's not there anymore. It doesn't keep me awake at night. No. If the, 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 the threat is always there, but it's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's, there's multiple things. I mean, the business is doing better, you know, and we've grown, which is great. But also having having been through it, um, you know, once you've been through a few things, you kind of get a bit more used to thing used to mm-hmm. it. Um, but it's tough. Um, I used to I used to lose use, lose sleep worrying about people leaving as well. You know, there's always that feeling if if people leave your business, what's the you know how do you cope with that or you know, what does that mean? Um, yeah, and I used to worry about that a lot, and that um, I'm better at now. Um, but also if you, I think if you like people who you work with and you employ good people, 
both it means that when they find if they need to move on and they find something else, then that you can see now there's a positive thing. Um, and also if you do, if you do ever have to let them go as well, you can be confident that they'll find employment elsewhere because they're good. Um, so, but, oh, I'm trying to think of anything else. Are there any, any big problems you're solving right now? Um, biggest thing I'm working on is our annual plan. So our annual plan for the year 2022 mm-hmm. is still not finalized and we're 13 days into it. Same year. So, <laughs> So that just that just kind of feels like so we've got a big model, um, you know, we've got all the departmental budgets that we're just trying to trying to nail down and trying to nail those down quickly and practically. That's the biggest stress at the moment, mm-hmm. yeah. And just just working out how we scale in particular territories and things. So there's a a mixture of kind of strategic and tactical stuff trying to be met, you know, smashed together into something that people can actually use. Yeah, make some sort of uh, plan that you, you can actually follow. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I think that's the thing is, like, over the past you know, years and years with with the business, um, there's been plenty of plans, and they haven't mattered too much. Um, you know, because, you know, if you're, if you're burning cash and you're just building products, you know, you can have plans, and it, it doesn't matter too much what you hit and what you don't. But, we, you know, now we're getting to a point where the plans mean a lot more so our, our annual plans becoming more and more important, which is mm-hmm. bigger company stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know what's worked for us there? Oh, uh, we um, we set results we want to achieve, like mm-hmm. n- numbers we want to achieve. This kind of, but then we also translate um, that into things we're actually going to do, and we the things we're going to do on a consistent basis. So we say we're going to do this X times per month, and that. X times per quarter, and that, uh, and that makes it way easier to actually follow a plan uh, than uh, than just setting numbers. Um, okay, because there's kind of an OKR approach, right? Here's here's our objectives, and then yeah. here's. But but if you're doing, but you're then saying like we're going to do these things that are specifically targeted. Yeah, we we, okay. we define, for instance, uh, what what is important for us is uh, I don't know uh, new features. So we're going to build one or t- one to two per month, and we're uh, what is important is to keep improving our onboarding. Okay, we uh, do an onboarding improvement every two months. Uh, we need to get more SEO traffic. Okay, we write an SEO article at least one per month, and things like that. Uh, and then we every month we know what to do, <laughs> and uh, in the end, these things, if we've done our job well, uh, planning wise, the the results will follow. Uh, the results I like that because that gets around the problem of saying, you know, we're going to do this and we're going to deliver this in month five. And then you get to month six and it's like, oh, yeah, we just looked at the plan. Yeah, We were meant to do this this month, last month and we didn't. Yeah. Okay, so what? But if you say it's important and then you just say you actually regularize it, that's that's neat. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Of course, <laughs> doing, still- doing, doing that from Monday. <laughs> still, still big projects to do as well. Uh, yeah. Like we need to redo the website. You cannot say we're going to redo the website every month. You can say uh, we want to improve the website every month. Sure, but if you have to, but then if you a, make little steps, and you have don't. a big project to redo it, then 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 you that doesn't really fit in there. Then it's just a plan for the year, and you can say we we want to have it in that quarter or something. Um, but it doesn't fit into the the things you do regularly. But most things actually fit in the the regularly uh, schedule. Uh, yeah, I can kind of imagine that. 
and if it's um well it's a bit like i remember just going fully fully agile down to one week one week sprint um with the company that is just um but forcing the entire we forced the entire company onto um onto sprint cycles so yeah um so not not just the engineering team same, and, same here and it it was um it was quite good fun saying you know it's like if you can't do it if you can't do it in a week it's not a thing that you can do yeah it's just it's just it that's something we also do the sprint cycles we have two week sprint cycles the developers have one week sprint meetings now but we in the the growth team um sits together every two weeks and then we plan our work uh, and it's partly based on that thing we set forward in the beginning of the year mm-hmm. uh, and it's just other stuff that we add on top. Um, and then we plan the two weeks, we do our work, we have the stand-up meetings and all that, you know, and then uh, the two weeks after, like next Monday, we sit together again and we define our two weeks. Cool. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, trying to improve how you do things is kind of continuous, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, yeah. And uh, beginning of the year is a good moment to... Uh, rethink everything right yeah yeah i just started yeah what are you doing about offices at the moment uh we had a full-time office he says we're both we're both working at home at the moment we, that was uh useless for a long while sometimes somebody was there but hardly ever uh policy also keeps changing here in belgium currently we're on the maximum one day a week uh, policy from the government um and that's actually the policy we had already set forward internally one day a week so mm-hmm. what we what we did was um we went for the uh, difficult search of finding an office that we could use one day a week without paying for the full week and we found one um so we're paying one fifth of the cost now which is a good thing brilliant yeah, that's cool yeah and i'm always interested because it's kind of um yeah, it, it almost feels old-fashioned to me now, thinking about the idea of going and having an actual office in which you say everyone has to work here five days a week. Um, but it's, um, yeah, I'm kind of, that's that's another thing I'm I'm concerned. If you, you're thinking about things, I'm I'm worried about that. I'm worried about making the right choice because you want somewhere that the, everyone's going to go so you can have a company which gets together. But at mm-hmm. the same time, yeah, you don't want the cost of five days a week somewhere. It just seems, just seems ludicrous. That's the difficult part, yeah. And actually, what 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 we're dealing with now is that we try to get people actually at one day in the office, <laughs> because once you get used to it, uh, it 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 is it is so, so, some sort of step uh, to go that one day, uh, but it is beneficial because it it keeps that group vibe alive. You see people in real life; they're not just on a screen. We see each other every day on the screen, like we have stand-up meetings and all that, but uh, still it's good to sometimes be together. Um, It just makes a difference, uh, both as a group and and as individuals um, to to have that feeling. Yeah. Well, anyways, yeah, there's so much, yeah, the the inertia of like, it's like, okay, we're going to go into the office now actually get out of the house the worst thing i end up being about 20 minutes late to any physical like in-person meeting at the moment because i'm i don't 
I can't, I don't instinctively know how much time it takes to get my laptop into my bag to go and unlock my bike and to cycle somewhere else in Cambridge to go and see someone. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, um, yeah, it's a kind of, yeah, weird, weird situation. Just I've completely forgotten how to get physically somewhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Much easier when you just say, okay, my next meeting is with so-and-so. Open open a Zoom window or whatever. What, what have you been doing actually to keep your uh, working at home a little light and still have some joy in the days and not have the this long drag have you changed anything um i've invested in a cool home setup so i've got nice speakers so i can listen to good music um i've got a standing desk so i'm kind of on a wobble board so i can kind of wobble around like this some so i keep myself moving for me that's you know just a, just a bit of movement rather than sitting in a chair all day um that's been really important i go to the gym twice a week you know, occasionally i play the cello um so I play the cello to a decent standard so that's that's a bit of fun um i'm trying to think what else i do I do some lego and i build stuff for the kids <laughs> yeah. i mean it, but it is it, it it is kind of you just yeah i i occasionally i realize well i haven't left the house today and then i just go for a walk um, yeah, I think that's the real thing. If you haven't, if you if you don't leave the house for two days in a row, that's bad. Um, so so it's just going for a walk and just getting out. But you go to the um, gym also, or that doesn't count. That's a, it's a home gym, so it doesn't count. Oh, it's a home gym. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's a, yeah, exactly. So that doesn't count. Got it. Yeah. So it's just I, I go and volunteer to go to the shops, or we just go yeah, go for a walk in in the countryside or something. Just anything to get out once a day. Uh, sorry, or once at least every two days. Yeah, and uh, otherwise you go mad. It's a it's a good place there around Cambridge to have a walk. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really nice, and uh, the weather's beautiful today. Unlike Belgium, the um yeah, uh, but it yeah, it, getting exercise, getting out. Um, yeah, but the other one is to realise when I'm not working. I I don't know if if anyone else has this, but I. I end up sometimes I end up working from home just 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 being sitting there being or standing there being absolutely unproductive not getting anything done and just acknowledging that and taking a break you know saying right I'm not going to work now I'm going to go and take half an hour and you know watch some crap on Netflix or something you just need to take some time out you know just sit on slack taking a break and go and say right I'm I'm not being productive at the moment for whatever reason I'm going to try and stop I'm not going to pretend to work that's yeah. the other one. Yeah, I think in I, the office you have people around to stimulate you, and that's so you can have a little uh, uh, like social interaction and then we restart work. I was actually reading a book, Big Performance, the last book I read. Uh, it's written by Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus. Uh, you, you cannot read it, and the listeners definitely cannot read it. But it's also uh, one of the things they suggest there is to take breaks at least every two hours. And then they have a few things that they suggest as breaks. Uh, walking is definitely one. Um, taking a shower, doing the dishes, listening to music, uh, sitting in nature, meditating, and uh, recovering socially. Some of the suggestions they give as, as breaks. Uh, so you can reset your mind and then afterwards get in that uh, flow again. Yeah, that's... Hang on. The slight pause at this end is me just adding it to my Audible account. <laughs> it's the um, the other thing is I, I do. If anyone recommends a book to me, usually I just go and get it um, on Audible, and yeah. I will um, 
I usually um, that means I usually usually read it within a month. That's uh, I I do a similar thing. I open my Goodreads account and I add it to my to read list, and then next time I uh, like I order books by the five, so I I I go through that to read list. And I'm mm. like, which which five books do I feel like reading now? And then I just order them on Amazon. I'm still old fashioned. I still read books like like books, um, but um, in batches. And, me, and always what I feel like. For for me, audiobooks are a complete revelation because um, so I, I'm dyslexic, and I mm-hmm. I think before like I I'll, I'll read more books. I would have read more books in 2021 than I had read in my life before I got an, an audio app. Right. Um, it, it's just I'd never I'd, I'd quite like reading, but never really finish a book. And the only things mm-hmm. I'd read you know, from start to finish would be academic papers, which is pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty dull. Um, yeah. So so things like Audible and other you know, other stuff coming along has been um, been kind of a revelation for me because it suddenly means that I don't have to read in order to read books or to to, to digest books. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm going to do some exercise and listen to an audiobook. It's brilliant. Talking about that, what is the the latest good book you've listened to, and and why did you actually choose to listen to it? Um, I always listen. Well, I always listen to books when they've been recommended to me. Basically, um, so books have been. I only listen to books that someone's recommended to me, and I kind of there's a bit of advice that I don't remember where it came from about books. Is that it's kind of if you're reading books because you want them to help, like, you know, to help with business or to understand creating businesses or running businesses, the time, the time to read the title and to put it in a library somewhere, you know, did, you know, just write it down that this, there's a book here that can help you do it is whenever you discover it, the time to read it or listen to it is when it's actually a relevant problem because otherwise it's just entertainment because mm-hmm. you won't retain the information properly. And so I quite like that advice, True. but now I'm kind of, so I'm reading the high growth handbook at the moment, um, which, which is great, but kind of painful because it's, it's got lots of kind of, um, challenges. It talks about lots of challenge in it, which are kind of going on at the moment. So it feels like, feels like a lot of work listening to it. It doesn't <laughs> feel like it's, it doesn't feel like I'm taking a step, taking a step away from work. It feels like I'm working harder when I'm listening to it because it's just yeah, like, okay, yeah. here's more stuff for me to do. But it's, um, it's the good time to listen to it. Like you said, uh, I, I hate, I hate, like, like you said, also uh, reading such a book, if, if it's not, I'm not directly going to do something with it. These kind of books, at least um there's other types of books where it's uh you can read at any moment it's just inspiring and it gives you a different idea on things and it might uh make you start doing something that's another type of books but then these kind of you know marketing growth books are usually of the of the type you said <laughs> yeah well, the the one you know recent books i enjoyed have you do you know exponential no right it's azim azar um, which I, okay, thoroughly recommend it. So Exponential by Azim Azar. It's a brilliant, he runs Exponential View, which is a newsletter, a tech newsletter, mm-hmm. um, which firstly I recommend subscribing to, um, but also his book. It's a, a really nice overview of the tech tech space and what's happening and what has happened and what why what's going on at the moment is so seismic. Um, is it Salim Ismail you said? Pardon? Azim Azar. Azim Azar. Oh, okay. 
Uh, oh, I found it. The exponential age. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. So I to to read list. Yeah. I, I, I Again, that's kind of right up my street because anything I used to kind of completely on my own, I'll listen to two things, kind of fi- fiction purely for entertainment and then, you know, stuff about general technology that's not too specific to mm-hmm. running a business because it doesn't feel like I'm relaxing. I read usually to relax. Yeah. Um, and then occasionally I'll read stuff that's tactically useful or strategically mm-hmm. useful um, to read. And yeah, so that definitely fits into the kind of, you know, just tech understanding and, and things. I, I really, really enjoyed that. And yeah, other books, books like that, you know, there's the kind of oh, names are escaping me temporarily. No I need worries. to flick through my library. Um, but um, yeah, that was, that was the most recent one. I think that came out last year, towards the end of last year. Yeah, yeah. Get good scores and good reads. Mm. Uh, he also recommends some good books. So he recommends some really. Uh, the other ones I read are kind of economic history books and things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, which I just I just like. My academic interest originally was in um, growth theory, um, and that's why I was kind of interested in the policy around entrepreneurship because it's kind of where does where does kind of wealth creation come from. Um, and where, you know, how do economies grow? Why do they grow? So just finished one on the history of inequality or the why why inequality is a kind of weird concept in the context of human history. Um, yeah, but also there's a good book on that, which is Beinhocker. It's a, quite old now. Um, Beinhocker, The Origin of Wealth, which is kind of a really good kind of mm-hmm. general view of um, how wealth is created, if anyone's interested in that. Yeah, cool. that's the origin, origin or the origins of wealth by Eric Beinhocker. It's a very good book. Yeah. Slowly closing off uh, further on learnings. Is there, if if you were to start over with Ten to Eight or or with another company, uh, what what would you have done, or what would you do differently? Um, there's a few things about. I think it's very. And I described paralyzed by fear um, at the beginning, you know, always worried about running out of money um, and always worried about not getting enough done fast enough um, and not worrying about, I don't know, it's difficult to put my foot on, my foot on, my, put my um, my finger on, um, on exactly what, but I think less, I'd just be generally less worried about, um, you know, running out of money or resources or anything like that, planning to live forever, basically. Your business, just just behaving like your business is going to live forever until it doesn't um, kind of approach. And, um, yeah, I think at the very beginning, we were quite waterfall. We weren't agile. You know, so there's there's plenty of operational stuff that just wasn't completely state-of-the-art. So I would have, I would have looked, I would be, you know, much more focused on how we did things. Um, you know, and making sure that that was absolutely state-of-the-art because um, it wasn't um, when we started. Um, yeah, and I think I would have, um, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that changes over time as well. Like what I'd change now is different to if you'd asked me that question a couple of years ago and it will probably. probably change in a couple of years, I mean, what, I'd, what I'd change is different. I think it always comes down to, you know, absolute focus, and realizing that time, I think time isn't really a relevant pressure in businesses. It's, it's you know, how, how fast are you burning resources and are you getting the best people? And I think I would have spent more time looking for really great people who I think I could have brought in earlier to kind of join in on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, 
you know, we're at the stage where we're now scaling up the business and kind of feel like we can afford to go out and, you know, search for really great people to join our team. And I feel like actually, well, maybe I could have done that at the beginning and, and you know, thought about not that anyone um, joining 10 to 8, I think they're all brilliant, but it, it's the it's the question of kind of like, you know, who are you trying to bring into the business and why and what are your ambitions? And I think I would have done that differently um, mm-hmm. at the very start. Is that a coherent answer? I'm not. I'm not sure. It's a very honest kind of. It's a. Brain, it's a, brain it's a few answers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> final final question and uh, and maybe one answer, maybe multiple. Uh, we all get. Sorry, I don't know. Visit. I don't know. I don't know how how much you can hear the kids coming home from school now. <laughs> I can hear them a little, but it's fine. Yeah, usually um, at least one of them is quite unhappy. <laughs> finally, uh, what is the the best piece of business advice you ever got? The first thing that comes to mind doesn't really need to be the absolute best. Um, the one that, that immediately springs to mind is is that it, it's much much easier to hire someone than it is to fire someone. That's true, <laughs> um, and I think that, that that's a really really important thing. To and what do you do with that? Um, be really 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 careful about who you bring into the business. Um, you know, you should make it hard to hire people. Um, not, you know, you always want to bring people into the business, but, um, we want to kind of, you know, we have rules now that if there's any doubt about someone, we just don't hire them. We just, we're just cautious because Mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, because it's the other thing is we're, I like, I like working in environments collaborative and open and helpful. Um, and the, the environment that we have and that we work in is really important to us and having, you know, in that kind of environment, it, it's it's diff- we want to help people. If people struggle at their role, our response is to help them at their role, not to get rid of them. And so we have a very you know, so if we help people a lot, then we need to be very cautious about who we bring on. That's that's how it works at the moment. Great advice. Thank you again, uh, Matthew, for being on Founder Coffee. It was really cool. great to have you. Great, great to be here. Cool, and thanks for the book recommendations. I shall read them this week. That's it for this episode of Founder Coffee. We hope you liked it. Let the world know if you did. Thanks for listening, guys.